Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Progress and Joy, a study on Philippians. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit our website, cbcsavannah.com. All right, open your Bibles to Philippians 2, verse 19. So, here's my concern this morning. This is what I, I want to communicate. I, I want to take grand truths of Scripture, and, and I want to bring them into my everyday, ordinary life. That, that is my goal. And over the last few weeks, going back really to a, a couple of weeks ago when when Cain spoke on Philippians 2, 5 through 11, we've covered some Scripture that I think we will be meditating on and dwelling on for all eternity, right? I mean, it's stuff like Jesus Christ setting aside, not, not holding on to the glory and the honor that was totally due Him and coming as a man and not just any man, but as a servant, and not just as a servant, but he would die, and that he would die a death on a cross. I mean, that's grand, grand stuff. And like I said, forever, I think we will think on those things. Uh, Paul concludes there in verses 9 through 11, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that's deep, deep, glorious stuff. But what do we do with it? You know, I mean, it's got to do more than just remain in our prayer closet. We don't just sit with our legs crossed and our, and our arms out going, hmm, you know, when we hear that. And, and, and here's the thing with otherworldly spiritual truth. We don't live in another spiritual world. We live in this one, and we have to get up, and we go to work, and we have mouths to feed, and we have bills to pay, and, and we have these bodies that are sort of hurtling towards death and decay, and probably worst of all, we have these sinful hearts that are still in us until we're glorified. And so, here's the really good news. Paul, the Apostle Paul, you know, don't, don't picture him as, as a guy who just was always just sort of walking around, you know, hmm. He lived a real life just like we did. He, he also did not just exist in a world of otherworldly spiritual truth. He, he lived in a world where, where sometimes he was stuck in prison and sometimes he was shipwrecked and sometimes he had to deal with people around him who were very, very sick, as we're going to see this morning. And so what I love about the passage that we're going to look at this morning is that it comes, it brings us just sort of crashing from the, the deep spiritual truth of Philippians 2, 5 through 11, down to the real world of just basic logistical matters. One guy sending two other guys to minister to somebody else. 
Now, I've loved this passage this week. When you preach a passage, you kind of get to spend the week with the passage. And I think this is one of the most affectionate, one of the most uh, just sort of warm passages that you're going to find in Paul's letters. It seems mundane. It it seems like he just sort of stops mid-sentence and and just to deal with something just purely, purely, you know, informational. But I don't think that's the case at all, and so that's what I want us to look at this morning. All right, so picture Paul. He's in prison. He's in house arrest. He's in Rome. He's under house arrest. He's chained to a guard, but guys can come and go and minister to him and minister with him. And so he's writing. He's writing, you know, uh, don't look out for your own personal interests, but look to the other, to the interests of others. And it's almost like he stops. He says, oh, yeah, Timothy and Epaphras. I love those guys. Those guys have meant so much to me. Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, I'm, I'm planning on sending them to minister to you. Boy, when I think of two guys who sort of are examples of what it means to look to the interests of others and not to their own interests, I, I really think of Timothy and Epaphroditus. He, maybe, maybe he smiles. Maybe he even gets a little misty-eyed because he's, he's, these are, I, he loves these guys, and he's, he's sending them away. He's sending them back to Philippi to help out there. So that's what's going on here, okay? So here's what we're going to do. Pretty, pretty simple stuff this morning. We are going to just walk through this passage. I'm just going to sort of set up the circumstances of this passage, what's going on. We'll look at some things in the passage. And at the end, down at verse 29, Paul tells the Philippians to receive him, speaking of Epaphroditus, in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. So here's what I want to close with this morning when we get to the end. I want to talk about what kind of man did Paul hold in high regard. And I think we'll see that clearly in the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus. All right? Okay, so let's look at the passage, and we're going to start with Timothy. Uh, I'm calling Timothy Paul's proven partner. Okay? Paul's proven partner. And so let's read uh, the first half of the passage, verses 19 through 24. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I shortly will come also. All right, so Timothy is Paul's proven partner. In fact, when Paul writes his letters to Timothy in First and Second Timothy, Paul calls him his beloved child in the faith. So Timothy was a, a young man. He had been converted under uh, Paul's ministry. And he, when Paul thinks of, of, of a disciple, a person that he has poured into, Timothy is the guy he thinks of first. Now, look at verse 22. He says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. Okay? Uh, the ESV translates it son there, but it's actually not the word for son. It's, it's technon. It's the word for child. Okay? So Paul is saying, Timothy is like my little boy who follows me around in the workshop learning what I'm doing. That's the affection that Paul 
feels for Timothy. Paul feels like Timothy is a part of his family, okay? Now, those of you who know me at all uh, know that uh, we adopt because when I walk into a room, you can just sort of tell that everybody didn't come from the same source, all right? Somebody asked my dad one time, uh, are, are, are they like trying to start their own little United Nations, okay? All right, so here's the thing. We've got representatives from China, we've got representatives from Ethiopia, we've got representatives from Mexico and America. Um, but here's the cool thing. I, I love this about adoption. Those Chinese, Ethiopian, American, Mexican children are starting to be Cleelands. It, it's, the, it's, it's the craziest thing. Like, it's a little Ethiopian Cleland, okay? And I love that because they're taking on our family resemblance, all right? So I've got a little Ethiopian boy that walks around the house doing this all the time. They have one golf course in Ethiopia, okay? So I brought him here, and he does this all the time. The point is, we're a part of God's family. There's a lot of great metaphors that, that we use to talk about salvation, you know, justification. We've been made right with God. We've been redeemed. We've been born again. But one of the greatest, really, is the fact that we've been adopted. We have been adopted into God's family. If you are a Christian, you are a part of the family of God. We are brothers and sisters together. We could say that what we're doing here this morning is just one big family gathering to talk about how we could be doing a better job of going out and doing our Father's business. But as we are becoming a part of that family, we're taking on that family resemblance. We're looking more and more like our Father in heaven. We're becoming more and more interested in the things that he's interested in. Back in Philippians uh, 1.5, Paul thanked God for the Philippians' partnership in the gospel. And that word for partnership there is, is like a business, okay? They're, they're interested in the same business. My point is this. We are taking over the family business. The family business is reaching out to lost people. The family business is going and telling other spiritual orphans that they can be a part of God's family. And so as we're becoming more and more like Christ, we're becoming more and more interested in that because that's what Christ is interested in. And so Paul, when he speaks of Timothy and says, this is my spiritual son in the faith, he thinks warmly of him. He thinks affectionately of him because he's raising him up. And his hope is that Timothy will one day take over the family business. And, and, and so I hope if we can stop there for just a second to say, I hope that you will be engaging with me together in raising up other partners in our spiritual family business raising up other people, that there would be people in your life, first of all, who are like spiritual fathers who are pouring into you so that you can learn and grow and be able to do the things that God has called you to do, and then eventually that there will be other people in your life who are like spiritual children who are learning from you so that when you are gone, they will take over that responsibility. And let me say this too. If you're here this morning 
and you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't understand what it means to be a part of the family of God. Then let me tell you, we would love to see you become adopted into God's family. Jesus Christ, his son, the son of the king, the son of the most high God, came and died and rose again so that you can be a part of God's family. We are all rebels. All of us are rebels who had rebelled against that God and who by faith have submitted ourselves once again to him and are now his children, brothers and sisters together. So brother, you too can be a child of the king. And I hope that the spirit of God will move in your heart this morning. All right, so what we see here is that Paul is sending Timothy to Philippi because he has no one else of kindred spirit to send. He has no one else who, who identifies him with him in the same way that Timothy does to send to the Philippians. Now, I, there's something here that I think proves, again, that Paul is not only about otherworldly spiritual truth because in a couple of chapters, he will sort of famously tell us be anxious for nothing, right? But by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God so that the peace of God, a peace of passes all understanding, will fill your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, okay? So Paul is all about prayer, and he's all about submitting in prayer his concerns. But he's concerned about the Philippians, and he wants to know how they're doing. And so he's sending Timothy to address that concern and send him word about how they're doing. My point is this, when we pray, when we submit something to God, it does not mean that we become sort of unemotional robots in regards to that. Paul is not saying, you know, pray for it and then forget it. It's not what he's saying at all. He says, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to send Timothy and I'm going to see how you're doing. He prays and he works to accomplish the things that he hopes to accomplish in Christ Jesus. You know what? I mean, I, I pray that my children will, will love God. I, I pray that my children, I would love it if my children would go back to Ethiopia, China, and Mexico and take the gospel there. Would love that. But I don't just pray and then say, that's taken care of. We as believers pray, we put it into God's hands. Didn't we read this? We, read, we, we looked at this last week. Therefore, my beloved, uh, this is chapter 2, verse 12, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Paul prays for the Philippians, and then he sends Timothy to go and see how they're doing. So should we. Again, this is not otherworldly spiritual truth. Lay it before the throne of God, and then use the resources you have to accomplish the things that God has put it on your heart to accomplish. The other thing I think is interesting here is verses 22 and 23. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Paul is not sitting around in a Roman prison feeling sorry for himself. He is constantly working towards the goal of making Christ known. Look, Caesar may have put Paul 
under house arrest, but Jesus Christ is Lord. And Paul is like, I'm still working for him. He's still my king. And I got to tell you, Bill, Bill mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, and I, it's, I totally agree with him. Most of us would not be directing ministry plans if we were stuck in a Roman prison. It's amazing. You know, I mean, I, I, if I had a jar and some pennies and was in Roman prison, you know, within a day, that jar would be overflowing. I, I would be so self-focused. But here's Paul directing ministry. You know what? Timothy, you go there. Epaphroditus, you, over the, you go over there. I'm going to write this letter to the Philippians. You take this to the Philippians. And just check out that mindset. Check out the mindset of somebody who's saying, it doesn't matter if I'm in prison. I've got this job to do. I'm serving the Lord. That's what I'm going to be doing. You know, John Piper has that little book, Don't Waste Your Life. I, I think that Paul, under these circumstances, would say, I'm not going to waste my imprisonment. Epaphroditus, who we're going to learn about in just a moment, is sick. He would say, don't waste your illness. The Apostle John would say, don't waste your exile. Do something. Serve the Lord. And I'm not minimizing suffering at all. I know that there are people in this room who are suffering physically, emotionally, spiritually. But nothing has happened to you that is outside of God's purposes, any more than Paul being in prison was outside of the purpose of Jesus Christ. And so I would say to you this morning, you really can be thinking of ways to maximize your suffering for the glory of God, just like Paul did. Hey, I'm in this prison, but that can't stop me. Hey, I may be stuck in this bed right now, but that can't stop me from praying. Money is tight, but that can't stop me from using this as an opportunity to depend on my Father in heaven for everything that He provides. I'm heartbroken over the loss of this loved one, but this gives me an opportunity to show other people what it means to believe that we don't grieve like those who have no hope. You know, we could all end up in jail. We could all end up in jail for our faith. So what's going to be our plan for that? We need to start preparing our hearts now. This memorization thing, you know? I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to get in jail one day and have them take my Bible away, and all I've got is like, Jesus wept, and, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Not that those aren't great verses. Love those verses. But what an opportunity this is now for us to be preparing by storing up God's Word in our heart so that when that day comes... You know, let's be like Paul, sitting around with our other prisoners being like, hey, what are we going to do to serve Jesus today? What a different perspective that is. All right, let's turn and look at Epaphroditus. So that's Timothy. Uh, let's look at Epaphroditus, uh, the other uh, valued friend of Paul in this passage. Let's start reading. We'll read verses 25 through 30 together. I have found it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed that you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service 
to me. All right, so as we'll see in chapter 4, the Philippians have sent a very generous financial gift to Paul, and Epaphroditus was probably the messenger who brought that gift. In all likelihood, Epaphroditus stayed and ministered to Paul, okay? So Paul is stuck in under house arrest. Epaphroditus may have been outside working some other job to help support and feed Paul during that time. Now, while he was in Rome, Epaphroditus became very sick. He became sick to the point of death. And at one point, Paul truly thought he was going to die. And he says, God had mercy and delivered him from that. Now, here's what I think is remarkable about this situation as you look down through that passage. Epaphroditus is not distressed because he's nearly to the point of death. Epaphroditus is distressed because he's worried that his spiritual family back in Philippi might be distressed because they heard that he was sick to the point of death. Could there be a better example of someone who is not looking out for merely his own interest, but also for the interests of others? Yeah, I'm sick, but I don't want my brothers and sisters back in Philippi to be concerned about me. And, and Paul goes out of his way here, by the way, to make sure they know that Epaphroditus was really, really sick. I, it, you know, it's almost so, so, you know, Paul's sitting there at the desk writing, you know, the, the letter to the Philippians, and maybe Epaphroditus is, you know, looking over his shoulder. Oh, don't write that. Don't get, they're just going to get all worried. They're going to get all concerned. And Paul's like, eh, it's in the Bible now. Can't change it. Ever. <laughs> Forever. Have you ever been to minister to a believer? Have you ever been a minister to a devout follower of Christ. It's a wonderful experience. It's a strange experience. Maybe somebody who's sick or somebody who's bereaved. And you get there and you've spent your time going, preparing to minister to that person. And you arrive and you're like, this is weird. I, I feel more ministered to by them than, than, than what I was able to do for them while I was here. It's almost like, it's almost like they can't stop serving you. It's, it's like you want to get into a fight. Can I, I want to minister to you. Stop. No, I'm going to minister to you. And I think that's how we should be as the body of Christ. It's almost like we should be saying, no, you, no, you, no, you, as we seek to minister to one another. Last week, Bill talked about shining as lights. What does it mean to be a superstar Christian, I'll tell you simply, be a person who can't stop thinking about and serving others. That's a superstar Christian. And people will wonder what is wrong with you. Because everybody wants to be rich and famous so that they can be served, and yet Jesus was rich and famous as much as you can get, and he let it all go so that he could serve others. And Paul says, have the same attitude in yourselves that was in Christ Jesus. That's it. That's the message. That's what Paul's trying to communicate. And even though Epaphroditus has been such a huge help to Paul, now he desires to go back to Philippi. According to verse 26, they're both distressed, and they want to send him home so that they won't be anxious. By the way, I will add this. Some of you may need to pause sometimes and let the body serve you. You know, Paul 
was needy. He was really needy. Epaphroditus came bearing a gift that he needed, and he was very appreciative for that gift. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that you are only a person who is needed. You are also needy. We are all needy. That's why we're here. So people need to recognize that it's our own neediness that makes us better servants. Paul says in verses 29 and 30, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here's something cool about verse 29. Paul says that Epaphroditus was risking his life to complete what was lacking. The word there for risking is the same word for gambled. Epaphroditus was gambling his life. He was taking a risk with his life for the purpose of gain. Think about this with me. And this is what we're here to celebrate. This is what we gather every Sunday morning to celebrate. These are the things we believe about our lives. First of all, we believe that we are forgiven and will never have to face judgment. We believe that, okay? The, the, the sting of death is gone for us. We believe that when we close our eyes in death, instantaneous, instantaneously, like not even a fraction of a second, because those don't count, we will open our eyes and we will be in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. We believe that these bodies right here will physically, literally be resurrected and that we will live in immortality serving our King forever. That's what we believe. That's what we celebrate. And so therefore, Christians like Epaphroditus have historically been people who have been the most willing to risk their lives for the sake of others. Christians have ministered at great personal risk, even in areas where there was contagious diseases, ministering to those who were in need because we're not afraid of death. I, I've read stories about Christians in, in the, the South Pacific who would pack, they would make coffins and they would pack their stuff in their coffins as they sailed to other islands so that they would have something to be buried in when they got there. Somebody wrote this week, uh, the bravest person in America was the second person to whom that shooter asked, are you a Christian? I would prefer to keep on living. I absolutely would. I love my family. I enjoy my job. I don't know anything different than this world. This is the world I live in, right? God created me to live here. It's my natural impulse to try to stay here. But according to the Bible, my love for others and my love for Christ should exceed even my love for my own life. And therefore, like Epaphroditus, should the circumstances arise, this is a risk that I should be willing to take. All right, so let's talk about then why we should hold these guys in high esteem. Paul says there in verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. 
Okay, so what kind of men did Paul think should be honored? Let's say it like this. We talked about opening our eyes in the presence of the Lord Jesus. What kind of men and women ought we to be if we hope to hear those glorious words, well done, good and faithful servant? Brothers and sisters, is there anything in the universe that could compare to that? Think about that. Think about what glory that will be. But here's the trick. How do I connect that glorious desire to my everyday mundane life? All right, so first of all, I would say the first thing that is characteristic of these two men is that they are working together in the family business. They are serving God together in the family business. Timothy is Paul's true son in the faith. Epaphroditus is his brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. So clearly Paul highly regards these men as gospel partners. Back in verse 27 of chapter 1, Paul said, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul says, I just want to get to Philippi and find out that you guys are striving and serving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what I want to hear. That's the report I want to hear. And so I would say to you that Paul highly esteems, the kind of men and women that Paul highly esteems are the kind of men and women who serve faithfully alongside their brothers in local churches. That's the kind of men and women that Paul highly esteems. Our mission together as CBC involves glorifying God by equipping people to follow Christ through community in the Bible. And we are co-laborers in that mission. As pastors, our job is simply to equip you for the work of the ministry as we all go out and we minister together. As a person who's only been here five months, let me say that there is something unique and rare about this gathering CBC is a unique place. Even last week as we gathered to, to hear those uh, baptisms and as everybody cheered for those people who were making a profession of faith in Christ and coming into the family, what a, what a beautiful picture of the affection that we feel towards one another. And as Paul writes this letter to Timothy and Epaph- about Timothy and Epaphrodites, you can feel that he has that same warmth and affection. Co-laborers, fellow servants, fellow servants of the king. We're on mission together, guys. You know, I love, I'll tell you a quick personal story. When I was pastoring a little, little church on the other side of town, and Bill and I would just sort of run into each other in uh, Starbucks every now and then. I used to love that I would hear sometime, some friend here at CBC would come and tell me, you know, Fowler prayed for you guys this morning at CBC. That was a huge, huge encouragement to me. From the moment I met him, I knew that Fowler was a co-laborer in the gospel. And we are. We're co-laborers with other churches around town. Man, when they have baptism services, We cheer for them too, and we hope they have more, right? More baptisms. More baptisms are a good thing. We're all on mission together. He must increase. We must 
decrease, and we rejoice in one spirit as God does wonderful, wonderful things in our midst. Let's make it our prayer from this passage that we as a body are growing increasingly as fellow workers and fellow soldiers and fellow servants of Christ. Secondly, Timothy and Epaphroditus are interested in what Jesus is interested in. Timothy and Epaphroditus are interested in what Jesus is interested in. I, I skipped over it, but I, I, I got to hit it. Verses 20 through 21. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. If we would be men who are highly esteemed by Paul, if we would be men and women who will one day stand before our king and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, then we must be interested in the same things Christ is interested in. And what are those things? Simply, that we do not seek our own interests, but that we seek after the interests of others. This is so simple and so hard. Note carefully, Paul says, for all, they are all seeking after their own interests. It's in, the, it's in the present tense. They're continually, they're ongoing, seeking after their own interests. Timothy swims against the current. And let's just be frank, y'all. We like to be admired. We like to be praised. We like to be comfortable. We live in a world where it is a virtue to seek after your own interests. Yeah, I mean, we have even figured out ways to conceive of making it look like we are caring about the interests of Christ when really we are caring out our own interests. Because what else is Instagram? You know, why else do I, like really, if I put a picture of myself on a beach in Hawaii and say, just thinking about God's goodness to me today on this beach in Hawaii, <laughs> what am I really saying? Hey, guys, I'm on a beach in Hawaii, and you're back in Savannah. You know, uh, you know, picture, you know, cute picture. My, my kids are cute. I think my kids are cute, you know. Put a picture of my, just thanking the Lord for this kid today, you know, and really, you know, look at how cute my kid is. He's way cuter than your kid. That's what we do. We conceive in our hearts of ways to make it seem like we're serving Christ when really we're just serving ourselves. Timothy had none of that. The life that reflects the interests of Christ is a life that longs to serve without any inflated estimates of our own importance. And that's exactly what Jesus modeled for us. God, if you would give us the grace to help us because we get it backwards. What if we became a body by the grace of God, truly filled with people who were busy seeking to serve one another. What if nothing was more exciting to all of us than to see other people built up and to see ourselves just fade into the background for the glory of Christ and for the good of others? It's so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard for me to preach. It's so hard to be in full-time ministry these days. I'm new here. I, I mean, I, I'll tell you, I I ask for the other guys to pray for me. I feel it. I feel it, the same battle of like, I want you guys to be fed by the Word, but I'm so tempted to want to impress you. 
I'm so tempted to want to be heard and have you say, he's a really good preacher. It's a constant, constant battle. Our sinful hearts manage to ruin good things so that we become self-promoting peacocks, sort of spreading our feathers for each other. Again, Paul says, they all seek after their own interests. The pathway to joy is the path that Jesus walked. It was the path to the cross. It was a path of self-sacrifice. And so, tomorrow morning, I would invite you to wake up and choose that path because there is joy in the work of the young mother who is sacrificing to care for her young children. And nobody knows. There's joy in the husband and wife who, by the grace of God, seek after the interests of the other person. There's joy and glory there. There's joy, joy and glory for those who gather in various local churches all over the world today and who have thought about how to stimulate each other to love and good deeds before they came here. There's joy and glory for the single person who longs for a mate but uses his or her singleness not as a reason to complain but as a chance to give greater service to Christ. There's joy and glory for the teenager, for the middle schooler or a high school student who feels lonely on a weekend because of the stand that he or she has taken for Christ. When you honor and obey your parents rather than rebelling, there is joy and glory there. When you share the love of Christ with your classmates or your teammates, there is joy and glory there. There's joy and glory in those who are sick, who use their convalescence to intercede before the King on behalf of others. There's joy and glory in countless other things that Christians do week after week, month after month, year after year for the good of Christ and others. And 99.999% of those things will never be noticed until we see our King and we hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Brothers and sisters, let's join hands and let's seek to serve others for the sake of the glory that's set before us. Third, these men are willing to give up this life for the next. These men are willing to give up this life for the next. Again, remember the hope we have. We don't have to face judgment. We will open our eyes and we will be with Jesus and we will be one day raised with new bodies to live forever in immortality with Him. For Epaphroditus, Dying was the least of his worries. And 200 years from now, think about this, 200 years from now, every single one of us in this room will be done with our race. It'll be over. The veil will have been lifted from our eyes. We will see things as they really are. Jesus has a little promise in Luke 6, 38 that I love. It's this. He says, give and it will be given to you Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put back into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I like to take that little verse, and then I like to go over to the description of the widow in Mark 12. Familiar story. A poor widow came, put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, 
all she had to live on. Let's combine Jesus' promise in Luke 6 with the story of that widow in Mark 12, and then let's ask ourselves, if you could go to heaven right now and talk to her, remember, she gave everything she had. If you could, give, if you could go right now and talk to her, what do you think she would say? Do you think she has any regrets for giving everything for Christ? Do you think she would say, no, hold something back. I really wish I had kept half a mite. I think she'd say, it's all true. Give everything you've got. If you can get some more to give, get it and give it because you won't regret it. And God will give to us in proportion as we have given and served him. Let's pray for God's grace as we go out to try to live as his word commands us. Father, give us faith to see these things for real. God, it is, it is Satan's desire to make us think these things are just spiritual, that they're just big, fluffy spiritual truths that don't apply to our real lives. So, Father, help us to walk out of here today and live as if these things are true. God, I pray that we would be people who lock arms together, striving together for one gospel. May we seek to serve in the interests of Jesus Christ. And, oh God, may we be willing, should you call us, to give our lives for the sake of others and for the sake of your Son. We pray in his name. Amen.